Welcome to Shop Talk Live today. Tom, Mike, and myself knock out a bunch of questions uh, to start the new year off right. We talk about our new year shop resolutions, and if I'm going to be honest, I've already accomplished mine. And I'm recording this on January 2nd, so that's got to be a record. I just want to remind everyone that Mike Pekovich's video workshop, uh, episode four, just went up. People are raving about it. It's an incredible, incredible project, and Mike is killing it. So if you have not signed up for an unlimited membership, I don't know what you're waiting for. This is as good as it gets. This is the time. Join Unlimited, and you're going to get access to one of the strongest video series that we've ever come out with. And if you're a fan of Mike, I think you are, since you're listening to this podcast. If you're a fan of Mike, this is Mike at his finest. So quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll start the show. When you're in the middle of a long sanding session, inevitably, you're going to start to think, I wonder if this sanding disc is old and used up. And I found that the best time to switch to a new sanding disc is the moment you think about it. Every second after that is wasted time. Maverick Abrasives is a family-run manufacturer of all things abrasives, such as sanding belts and sanding discs. Their manufacturing facility is located in Anaheim, California, where knowledgeable experts are on call Monday through Friday to answer any sanding or finishing questions you have. Head on over to maverickabrasives.com and check out their wide assortment of sanding discs. They've got you covered with the best prices on the web, whether you use 5-hole, 8-hole, or festool-hole pattern discs. To top it off, they have free shipping on orders of $200 or more. So join fellow Mavericks Ramon Valdez and Philip Morley and stock up at maverickabrasives.com today. Tom. Hi. How was uh, how was your your gift making this year? Did you get them all done? I'm saying this because it's after New Year's right now. Remember? Yes, it's after New Year's. I got it all done. It was amazing. But at this point, have you really gotten it all done? No. Well, I, <laughs> I uh, <laughs> no, I will. I have um, I have the required ones done. Like I'm, I'm well, not totally done. Let me let me step back. I have two complete, one ready for finish, and I have two more things to make. But the other things I have to make are simple, like a, making a cutting board and then a uh, a cheese board kind of thing. And those will be quick. Of I've course, ch- I I say that, but I'm I'm doing some new kind of inlay, so oh. I expect some. <laughs> <laughs> I may not be done. No, I'll be done. So uh, here's here's a question for the room. What are they called? Chartreuterie boards? Char- I, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Char- what? Charcuterie. All right. Oh. That's just Ch- a board, right? Chicanery. <laughs> I, I, I see people yeah. say, oh, I had to go to a thing, so I made a charcuterie board. And it's like, no, that's a board. It's a it's plate. You're going to you tell someone to put it. something it's on. It's a plate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's what's yeah. on the board. It's yeah. got your mixed veggies and ranch dip on it yeah. as opposed to your crackers and craft uh, singles. Wait, I feel no. like at at the Rose House, it doesn't have mixed veggies and ranch dip. What do you put no. on a charcuterie board? A charcuterie board Napkin is usually holder. the meat. You know, it's the salami and um, prosciutto and oh. things like that. Okay, but I don't use those. I'm making I'm making trivets for for the three tri- three of the Which projects. Which is a smaller board. Well, I'm making different sizes, and I when I the the first one I made was kind of a. Uh, on a whim, and now that I'm 
kind of analyzing trivets and their actual <laughs> usefulness. I'm deciding that, you know, I've been making these things a little bit too small. So now I'm starting to make them a little bit are wider. You, are you going fit. down a trivet rabbit hole? No, 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 no. They, these are just, um, these kinds of things are just ways to use up some shorts that I have in the shop and a way for me to like keep woodworking, you know, without having to build a big project. It's kind of a, a tweener project to kind of keep me downstairs. But but they're nice gifts. I mean, people seem to like them. And, you know, I, I the only thing is I tell people that they're used for holding pots and things like that or, you know, bowls at the table. And people become so um, precious about it. And I I often see them just being used as kind of display things on a coffee table with like a yeah. candle on it or whatever. They're afraid to yeah. kind of put it to use. But that's okay, too. Yeah. My my wife struggles with that. Like her. Oh, yeah. yeah I tell, like I made a, a table for our back porch a few years ago, probably maybe 10 years ago even. Um, and <laughs> it's it has like no scratches on it because my wife keeps it totally covered all the time. And I made it out of maple and I designed it with some beautiful curly tiger maple like in the center of the of the the, the table to show it off this beautiful figure <laughs> it's constantly covered up I I, I saw it that like, one time and there was it was tablecloth it's just like I think yeah, I had to pick up know, the tablecloth to see meant, the breadboards it's meant to use yeah. it's meant to use but I, I get it it's like when you buy a car and you get the first ding it's like oh. and then after that it's all good right just gonna run through the woods with your car or put the kids to work at the uh, at the table coloring. Yeah, or with Hot Wheels. Man, not anymore. Scratching it all up. Now it's real cars. It's very sad. <laughs> <laughs> Tearing apart an engine on the on the shaker table. Hey, don't even don't start. I came home last winter <clears throat> um, to my son and his friend with his car, all four doors open, the hood up. And I was like, what the heck are you guys doing? There are wires everywhere. <laughs> and they're both engineers or engineer majors. And they were putting in um, a new car stereo. And, you know, it, I'm glad that he does it, but it was freaking me out. Like, I wouldn't undertake that because I'm afraid of messing something yeah. up. I'm sure it's not that hard, but they were in. They had, like, the door panels were off. Like, all the, the fuse boxes were taken apart. It was just like... You guys know where all this stuff goes, right? When it goes back <laughs> together. But that's kind of what uh, what you encounter when you have older kids. I did that as a teenager with my buddy's car, and he didn't have a good place to put the speakers. So we put speaker boxes on the back deck. Yeah. And in the garage, we're like, wow, sounds great. Yeah, let's go for a ride. And the moment he hit the brakes, the speakers go flying and hit us in the back of that. <laughs> that's, that's no joke. I... I had a car, my first car that I bought in high school, um, had a great stereo because it had those box speakers. And <clears throat> the guy had kind of taped them down, you know, in the back on the, I don't know what that, what that space is called behind, uh, behind the back seat. But I got into a car accident and those speakers flew forward so hard I got concussed. <laughs> hit me, one hit me right in the back of the head. It's all coming together now. Yeah, and the funny thing is <laughs> I, was listening, I was listening to Bob Seger and as my car was spinning from the impact, Bob Seger was just going, rrr, rrr, rrr. <laughs> and it's funny how I remember these things. Everything was moving in slow motion. It was really weird. <laughs> anyway. 
Speakers hit you like a silver bullet. <sighs> yes. Yes. Ah. It, against the wind, baby. Wow. Ah. I don't Through know the thunder. <laughs> <laughs> Waited on the lightning. <laughs> Felt the thunder. <laughs> In every way. All right. So um, we decided to do a little house cleaning. It's time for a quick fire lightning round. I gave you two the questions this morning about half an hour ago. Well, this is going to be really quick because I have no answers. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, all right. So um, let's just get down to it. Right. Question number one is from Bobby. I've been listening to the podcast for a while while I woodwork, and Bob and Mike got on the subject of sanding blocks. I've seen other woodworkers use sanding blocks as well, and I have been thinking about the downside of orbital sanders, mostly the pigtail swirls that show up. Do you only use sanding blocks to sand? Meaning, do you only sand with sanding blocks as opposed to random orbit sanders? Okay. Or do you recommend using sanding blocks for higher grits only? I have an orbital sander now, and I want better results than I'm getting. You forgot the last line. Um, I think what Bob I love and I, the podcast, Ben. <laughs> Woohoo! <Yeah. No. laughs> what Bob and, and I were talking about where is where you actually adhere sandpaper to an MDF block. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's like a that's we were talking about sanding blocks. That's really good for kind of truing joinery and chamfers and flushing up the ears and things yeah, like that. Yeah, and then in terms of like the cork line sanding block where you wrap sandpaper around it, I think you know I think that's probably what Bobby is referring to. Randomware sanders are great. Um, the rule of thumb is to sand up, don't skip any grits. Generally sand up to 220 with a random orbit sander if I'm doing a big tabletop or something. And then just whatever grit you end up with, start hand sanding at that same grit. Yeah. And then go on up as high as you want to go up. I'll go up anywhere from 400 to 600, um, depending on the wood I'm working with. So, yeah. Um, the pigtail swirls, it's your technique for random orbit sanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, let the weight of the sander do the job. Don't Keep be pressing down yeah. on it. Mm-hmm. And also, um, it's aggravatingly frustrating, but go super slow. It should take you about 10 seconds per foot. Yeah, I... Yeah, that so, that maths that maths well. Yeah, so everybody, put your hand up like you got a random orbit <laughs> sander and move it and count to ten to go one twelve inches. It's like, are you kidding me? Yes, I'm yeah. not kidding you. This is that's how you let the sander do its job because it has to make its complete rotation do its thing it wants to do without the weight bogging down the random orbit motion um, yeah, and getting it, those heavy scratches. Yeah, those random orbits are designed <clears throat> using the progressive grits not to leave those, yeah. a lot of those swirls. And they I do mean, a pretty good job. Yeah, I, I don't, I use it, I, I hate sanding, but the only time I really use my random orbit is for like bigger jobs where I'm just trying to get through the grits and then I finish with a hand, with a hand sand yeah. block. I avoid it when necessary, but sometimes it's necessary and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Hook it up to a shop vac. Yeah. Always, always, always. Um, it cuts much more aggressively. Your sandpaper lasts longer. And it actually does a really good job of collecting 90% plus of the dust it throws out. So win, win, win. But the technique like Mike describes is is perfect. But it does, you know, sometimes it wants to run on you. So it's not as, were, it's not as easy. You know, yes. It is. A, sometimes the, the, the motion itself makes you want yes, to move it, it in yeah. whatever direction it wants to go. That, that is one tool <clears throat> that I feel like in the past five years have gotten significantly better. 
Because yeah. probably about five years ago, I bought the sander that won a shootout, a fine woodworking shootout, and it was great. And then we recently did one, um, what, maybe a year ago, Barry did one. Oh, that poor, poor guy having to sand for days and days and days. That's he why we knew, need he new editors it. every yeah. time. He <laughs> loved it. And, um, I bought one from the review yeah. and that it didn't win because somebody else bought that one. Um, but you know, it was, and it was a pricey sander, but the difference is astounding. The, my old one wanted to get away from me. Yeah. It would just, I think it was unbalanced and a corner would dig in or something and it would just run away from you at times. Yeah. This one smooth as can be. It's so much more enjoyable to use. Um, you know, I got, I actually, <laughs> it's really stupid. I, um, I had one of my worst woodworking injuries from a random orbit sander. I got one of the worst cuts Did ever. Drop from, it on your foot. No, I, I, I accidentally clipped like the corner of the, the disc yeah. cut into my fingers. Oh. I just got too close. I was just not paying attention when I was lifting and yeah. putting it down and it clipped my finger and it gouged like oh, it took off a bunch of skin like a chisel would have. Ouch. Oh my God. I was in so much pain. Like, and those across, don't heal. The abrasive. Right, it was right across my, my index and middle finger, yeah. like right at the top. It was so painful for like weeks and I was like, oh my gosh, I just got hurt by a freaking sander. <laughs> it's like, I've been safe all these years. This is the part where <laughs> I can I, go mindless I drew on. blood with a random orbit sander. I must That's, be- You're the I'm, only one I've ever I heard. might be the first one ever. Yeah, so, maybe. But be careful out there. Um, one thing that I do is once I hit 120 or something like that, I take the disc off and I do a quick hand sand in between grits every, with, with that disc. Grit. Yeah. Uh, I got that from Chris Bexford and I don't know if it makes a difference, but it feels like it makes a difference. And sometimes that's all that matters. I've been thinking about actually getting a belt sander because I use the, the sander mostly for bigger surfaces. I'm thinking, well, maybe it would just be quicker to get a Brave decent, man. decent belt sander, but Brave I haven't man. pulled that trigger yet. I don't know. Uh, I just used my belt sander yesterday. Yeah. It's the first time I've used it since the last time I made a chair and I needed to true up the bottom of one foot to make it level. <laughs> Clamp that thing upside down on my vice, level with the tabletop, turn it on, till it doesn't tip anymore. We're good. <clears throat> then I brought it in the house and it tipped because my floor is not level. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sure. All right. Question number two. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm going to take a swing at this last name because I think I got it. This question is from Joel Fiegerholt. Oh, well done. That's pretty we'll cool. We'll see. Yeah. Let us know, Joel. In Finland, and this is a very Finnish question. Uh, I work at a factory where we build saunas. See, did you say sauna or saunas? Saunas. Saunas. Sauna. What? Yeah. Okay. We'll ask. We'll, Joel, tell us who's right. Yes. Uh. And I've noticed that black alder has quite nice reflex. Huh. Uh, the rays are narrower than those found in oak, but still nice to look at. Do you know of any more species that have big visible rays except the already mentioned species? Um, I think just about every wood has the rays, medullary rays that extend out from the center of the tree. 
um, and depending on the size and also the the length, um, you're going to get different patterns as those uh, rays bisect the surface when it's sawn on the quarter sawn grain. So white oak probably having the largest and most pronounced and most known for it. Um, another one that is really um, well-known is quarter sawn sycamore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got more uh, like sort of like a bee's wing uh, kind of luster to it. Yeah. Re- really tight, but really, really lustrous. Um, that looks super cool. I like the ray fleck on quarter sawn cherry. It's like really small. It's almost like sparkles yeah. on the grain. That's really pretty. Um, I I mean, I feel like you have to be dead on quarter sawn cherry. Yeah, you know, like if you if you uh, turn a dowel, that that section of the dowel with the with the ray fleck yes, right is really small. But when it's I, yeah. I'm I'm finishing a ukulele neck right now, and there is one little spot with beautiful ray fleck. Uh, and I wish the whole thing had it. But quarter saw and cherry, if it's curly and all, it just tears out like the bejesus. Oh, yeah. so, I've, had, I've had Ray Fleck a little bit in some birch that I've used. Yeah, sure. Maple, that same kind of sparkle. Too. Yeah. And it's, it's a can be a bugger because it's like, that's. I think I told the story about I was planing this, this top that I had made for a, a table that I made for my son. And I just couldn't get, get it to stop tearing out. And I was like, oh, Belt oh my gosh, look at that. Belt sander. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's funny. I found, um, in my shorts, I had come across these. <laughs> what? <laughs> that got weird. Where's your head at? Um, in my short wood pile, um, I, uh, I came across some, some white oak, um, basically like one inch by three inch, about three feet long. And, uh, I was thinking, oh, these would be cool to, to use as feet for some of the things I'm making. And then I, was getting ready to do more work and I pulled these things and I was moving them and I saw them under a light and I was like, oh, dang, it's quarter song. Now, I, now I've got to save them for the future because <laughs> they were really cool. They go in the it, special short Well, they pile. were, I was thinking, man, this is like a drawer front or, or something more special. It's not a foot, you know. I'm not going to cut this down to one inch and, yeah. and bury it under a, a trivet. Right. So. Speaking of shorts, I tried to organize my my wood stash last night my least favorite length of wood right now is like 30 inches because hmm. you can't do anything with it cut it in half and burn it <laughs> I, can't, I can't i'm not there yet okay i just i have stacks and stacks of like what are you gonna do with that like oh. ash eight quarter ash 30 inches long how wide trivet <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Sure, you're not wrong. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, five inches. You make boxes uh, out of that. That's a nice board. Re- resaw that bad boy. I just make a I, nice. I look at it. Box. I go. I'm never going to use Cross-cut that. Crosscut sled fences. Yeah, yeah. That eventually turn into ukulele necks. Toothbrushes. You know, it's like the most unusable size for me, but I can't. I end up keeping them far longer than I should. It's like eight quarter cutoff. So you have a board which is. It could be like 10 or 12-inch wide, eight-quarter board, but the cutoff is like 12 or 14 inches where it's like I could get that across a joiner, like just long enough to get across a joiner. And it's so wide and thick that it's like, well, I can't get rid of this because that's a good chunk of money per (laughs) board foot. And then I just split them with a little hatchet and burn them, and they burn really well. Yeah. Um. So question about Joel's question. Are open grain woods more likely to have 
um, the reflex, super prominent reflex? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, ash is super open grain. I don't True. see it there. I don't see them in walnut, which is That's pretty open grain. Mahogany, yeah. I don't see them at all. Okay. So I don't. It's not the pore structure as much as the ray structure. All right. Yep. English sycamore. That's the good one. Hello, mm-hmm. Governor. Uh, question number three from Joe. <clears throat> Mike, you've covered this before. However, would you explain your process for fuming white oak? And if this process will get me closer to the color of English brown oak without imparting any dyes or stains, I'm building one of your cabinets from your book, and I'd like the drawer front to take on that dark brown appearance. And what I'm afraid of is if I use dye or stain when I go to plane the sides to fit the drawer opening, I may lose some of that color on the end grain of the pin board. So I thought ammonia fuming might be the ticket. And just for clarification, I tried to find some brown oak and struck out. Um, well, the bad news is I don't think fuming actually gets you super close to English brown oak. The good news is no one knows what it looks like anyway. <laughs> and, it's <true. laughs> and it's like the, you know, the saying is that that stickly fumed oak in order to mimic English brown oak. So we all say, well, I'm fuming to mimic English brown oak. Um, yeah, don't ever get a piece of English brown oak because it's the most beautiful wood you've ever worked with. Super hard to find and expensive, and it will curse you the rest of your life. So, um, yes, uh, fuming gets you, you exactly really <laughs> like English wow. brown oak. I was um, like, happy, <laughs> happy New Year. <laughs> yeah. um, my process, I use uh, 10% um, janitorial strength ammonia. You get it from Ace Hardware. It's not super, super nasty like the blueprint strength stuff, which is 28%, but it does much, much better job, faster job than the household ammonia, which is 3%. I make a really crude tent. So I have a stash of uh, one by two pine. I screw together a little frame slightly bigger than the project I'm fuming just with dry roll screws, a drape, a uh, plastic over it, just a plastic drop cloth over it. All the frame is doing is keeping the plastic from coming in direct contact with the piece of furniture itself to make sure the ammonia gets there. Get a couple deli containers, put about a half inch of ammonia in each one, slide it underneath, um, put a bunch of sample blocks in there, maybe like, you know, two by four inch little blocks, pull them out every two hours, put a coat of shellac on them to see what the color you're looking like. And when you get to the color you want, um, just Cover up the ammonia, pull off the sheet, air out the shop for a few minutes, and you're good to go. From there, it's kind of a green-gray cast, so mix up some either amber or I prefer garnet shellac from Flakes. Wipe that on. It's going to warm up the finish quite a bit. I'll normally continue with shellac or wiping varnish and then finish up with a dark wax. I prefer the Brie wax. I think it's called... Right. Dark antique brown or something was, like that. I thought it was bro wax. It's bro wax. Bro wax. Bro wax. Bro wax. <laughs> That's totally bro. different. So it's it's B R I. Smells like body spray. <laughs> B R I W A X. It's really smelly because it's got like a toluene based solvent in it. Um, it'll give you a headache, and it gives you a really hard shine, which is nice, but it's difficult to keep it from streaking on large surfaces. But it's the darkest colored wax. Um, I find and I like it uh, for fumed pieces. Be careful if you're fuming to a lighter color, that wax, it might be too contrasty once it gets in the pores and not look good. So Mm -hmm. I might go with like a lighter brown wax 
if I'm not fuming super, super dark. So <clears throat> here's a process question for Joe. Not for Joe. For Joe. In that might help Joe. Yeah. If you were fuming a piece of oak for a drawer front and the secondary woods were all pine or maple or whatever, yeah, you would fit the drawer and then fume it, right? Because there's I was, no... I was just about to ask that question. There's no tannins to darken or there's not as many tannins to darken in the secondary woods. Yeah. So he doesn't need to necessarily worry about planing the fumed oak. Yeah, I think I think you're good either way. You're right. So something without any tannins is not going to be affected by the ammonia. That's cool. The other thing is the ammonia really um, permeates the surface. So you can sand or scrape, maybe even you know take some plain shavings off of a piece that's been fumed. For instance, if you're just planing down the end grain, chances are it's not going to you're not going to cut through that fumed area. Especially the end grain, wouldn't you think? I would think so, yeah. too. Right. It's going to absorb the most. So either way, yeah, just make your drawer, glue it up, flush it down, get it fit, and stick the whole thing in there. That's no, it does. Fine. The, the, like for a drawer, would the ammonia, I've never fumed, would the ammonia smell linger inside a drawer if Ooh. you were to do what Ben described? No, it dissipates it, it, super it, it, quick. It goes away. Yeah. 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 That's a good question, though. Thank you. But <clears throat> it does kind of permeate the wood for a short while, so if you, like, bring it up and, like, smell it, it smells good, like <laughs> oh, ammonia. <laughs> Wake up! Yeah, it's like playing football again. The, what? Ammonia, the ammonia tablets, the snap when you get when you get whacked, brings it right out. Is that what those are? Yeah. Hmm, there you go. They smell that. like ammonia. That's kind of why it makes you go woohoo. <laughs> uh, so here's the thing I just found out. Um, I'd been doing some. Uh, sample boards because I want to know if I pre-finish with shellac a piece not like heavy but like wash coat and then sand it down which I like to do before assembly is that going to inhibit the ammonia from darkening the wood um, I've done some samples and it's it was like well not really it looks like there wasn't any difference at all but I never got up the courage to actually fume a pre-finished piece of furniture until this weekend and it does not get as dark. So I do not recommend okay. it. I'm not going to do it again. And I think I'm going to say, no, don't do a pre-finish with shellac because it does inhibit the darkness you get. There you go. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Question number four from Drew. I've always heard that Baltic birch plywood is the best for shop jigs. However, every time I pick up a sheet, I find that it is not as flat as I would like uh, for use as a base in a crosscut sled, for example. I've noticed that MDF is much flatter, but it comes with its own weight and durability issues. What material would you, would you suggest? Do you employ construction methods to keep your base flat? Am I worried too much about flatness? No, never worry too much about flatness. I don't know. Um, I love I, I, uh, I use MDF mostly. I haven't really used much Baltic birch in my shop. Jakes. I guess I'm just kind of cheap. But I've it's, had great success with MDF. It's just, uh, it's just nasty to work with. It's heavy, and and that dust. You know, if you don't have a, du a good dust collector, that stuff just goes. It's like yeah. drywall dust. It just goes everywhere. So, um, this but, is very telling. But Baltic birch is my English brown oak. It's my white whale. What is? What does that mean? <laughs> don't use it unless you 
always want to use it. Yeah. Because it's like once you use Baltic birch, no other plywood's good. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of time plywood, if it's stored vertically, does tend to cup. And I I know exactly what you're talking about, uh, about the cup plywood, because that's a bummer. Um, Yeah. If you kind of sort through stacks, you can typically hopefully find a flat piece. Um, Plywood should always be stored flat, which nobody in their right mind has a shop big enough in which to store their plywood flat. So I'd say look for flat stuff, and when you bring it into the shop, just use it pretty quick because you're right. Once you get that potato chip thing going on, it's tough to work with. Crosscut sleds, your front and rear uh, fences are flattening things out a little bit. Yeah. And your rails yeah. might? Your well, rails I, your could, yeah. When I made my, my latest crosscut sled, I used MDF. Um, I used a half-inch thick yeah. piece, though. And just to make sure it was flat on my table, so I, before I attached the fence, I clamped the um, the base down, and then I glued the fence. Mm-hmm. To, you know, once I got it squared up, I tried to kind of level it out like the back fence is kind of what i started with so i glued that on mm-hmm. to try to flatten it out and then i don't know huh. it's i don't know if i did anything but it, it seemed to <laughs> you know it was just a little bit it was it was just a little bit off on mm-hmm. the back edge so i and then the front i just kind of you know went through the process of putting one on the, the square getting the fence square so. i think <clears throat> i think my first crosscut slot i made i made it out of three quarter inch mdf and I immediately regretted it because That's everything. Heavy. Well, it's really heavy, and it took up too much uh, cut cut depth or cut height. Yeah, other oh, three quarter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good point. and yeah. it was like the first thing I went to cut. I couldn't cut deep enough into yeah. because it you know raised that piece up another three quarters of an inch. So I've always been doing, um, been using just quarter inch MDF. Um, and I think the construction holds it flat. Yeah. And I use, I mean, I've seen people use Balti Birch for their fences. And I've, for my router table, I used, uh, I made the fence out of, you know, glued up MDF. For my crosscut sled, I have, <clears throat> excuse me, some uh, some nice, thick, heavy, flat maple for the front and back fences. Mm. I like uh, half-inch MDF is super flat. I can get it from my local Home Depot in the quarter sheets, which I love. I know I'm like paying... An exorbitant yeah. amount for the yeah, small. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a convenience fee. I like the smaller sheets. They also in the same racks. They have it's not Baltic birch. They do have that sort of thinner multiply plywood, which tends to delaminate. But it, it chips I, out a lot too. Yeah, I've but if I it. find really you know flat pieces of that, um, I do like half inch Baltic birch if I can get it. But I have to drive like forty minutes to the nearest woodcraft. Yeah, um, and then it's like that five by five sheet, which is super hard to fit in your car. So. Um, yeah, I, I, MDF. I think I use it mostly because it's it's flat, it's convenient, yeah. and you know I don't have to drive. I think I probably have the same distance to the woodcraft that Mike does. Yeah, it's like wow, I don't want to go that far for a shop thing. My current um, sled, it's not a big sled. I like it a lot. I think it's probably half inch base, and then on top of that, I kind of freshened up the base with a quarter inch MDF. Yeah, and then I needed to freshen it up again, and I didn't <laughs> want to take off the quarter inch. And I, I was mocking up the back of a arts and crafts chair on a piece of three quarter inch MDF, and it just happened to be the right width to like nail down onto my crosscut sled. So now it's like. A half inch plus a quarter inch plus three quarters of an inch of MDF. That thing is so heavy. 
Um, and you're right. I can All of only... a sudden, SawStop's going to come out with a 12-inch table saw. Mike's going to upgrade yeah. just so that he doesn't have to pull any layers off his cross-cut Yeah, so sled. I can only raise my blade like for quarter-inch high cuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have always dreamed of using that phenolic plywood. Yeah. Yeah, I've never used That's that. Re- it's absurdly expensive, but it looks really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super hard, super slippery, super flat. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's move on to the New Year's traditional shop resolutions. God. And Tom hates resolutions. And just f- as a reminder, Anissa copped to this on the last episode. Uh, her shop resolution last year was to draw every day. Yeah. And she has not drawn once since then. Really? Mine was to finish working on my shop and start woodworking and start working in my shop, and yeah. I have done that like crazy. I am stupidly successful. What about you, Mike? Yours was to learn a new skill this year. Um, I tried carving. It was really hard, so I haven't done it. <laughs> <laughs> so This is hard. Yeah. <laughs> Al Breed makes this look really easy. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right, so this year, who wants to go first? I'll go first. Yes. Drawers. I need drawers in my shop. Oh, there's something to do with your shorts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, when trying to organize my shop, I don't have any drawers. Hmm. And so I wind up using wall space for tools that aren't worth putting on the wall or for, you know, like sandpaper storage and just everything is out yeah, and it's cluttering things up too much. And I just wish that there are certain like files. I have files within arm's reach that I reach for once every six months. There's one file I reach for all the time, but the other ones, they need to go in a drawer Yeah, and I pull them out when I need them. Or um, I want a drawer that you open up, a deep drawer for spray cans, cans of spray paint or whatever. Uh, I need drawers. Just don't keep cans of shellac around. Exploding cans of shellac. They explode. Only to you. Twice. Yes. Twice. (laughs) You have issues. (laughs) Um, That's my resolution. That's cool. That's doable. That's yeah. like a weekend and a couple sheets of plywood and yeah. you're good. I know, I know exactly where they're going to go. Cool. Um, yeah, that's probably the next thing I do. Tom? Mike? Tom? Mike? Tom? Tom? Somebody? Um, <clears throat> I, you know, <clears throat> I don't like, um, I have enough deadlines in my life. So I don't like to make resolutions <laughs> that are voluntary. Um, but the one thing I've discovered recently and and it's sort of a um melancholy thought as my kids get older i'm finding more time in the shop lately and so i think one of the things that the more time i spend in my shop the more i like you i realize that things aren't as they should be you know in terms of organization so um instead of building drawers i'm planning on doing some wall Hanging storage kind of thing, like we had done. Were you article. talking about building a wall? A yeah, point? that ain't, that's not going to happen this year. Okay. Um, 
I don't have that. That's a, a bigger issue because I, when I do that, then I want you know to do some double doors close to the exit toward the back of my uh, house. Okay, so it's a domino. And, yeah, and I and I yeah. want to rewire. That's when I'll spend the money to you know add some circuits to my panel and put some more power in my area. That's a bigger. That's like more of a probably a three or four day job to do all that. But uh, just these things I'm just going to attach to my concrete wall and build. Um, I can't remember the, the guy's name. Um, it was in the tools and shops issue uh, last year where he did the wall panel of like tool holders. Uh, uh, Stevens. Stevens. Uh, yes. Yeah. So I want to do something like that for, you know, I don't, I have tools in places like you had tools hanging on walls that don't belong on walls. Yeah. I have tools on my bench or in a cabinet that don't belong in a cabinet. Like yeah. my hand saws They're Yeah. They're sort of like, you know, in their cases or with their protective sleeves on, but they're sitting on foam that <clears throat> some foam in, in my cabinet. So yeah. I, just, I would like them, you know, over here, like right above my, behind my shoulder. So if I get to it, I get to it. I, I always defer to building like fun things as opposed to shop things. I'm, I'm always like, yeah, I could do that, but wouldn't it be more fun to take this, you know, kind of spalted maple block that I have and make a bandsaw box? Yeah. Yes, that would be more fun. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, I'm kind of like Tom. I'm going to keep it real. <laughs> I need to change some light bulbs in my shop. I'm going to get to that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think you need to work on a fixture. Don't you have I don't some know. fixtures out? I have like I have like three fixtures in a line, three rows of three fixtures in a line. The end two fixtures in one of the lines, all four bulbs are out. So I don't know if it's a ballast. I don't know if it's wiring. I don't know if so, maybe all four, like however many bulbs, eight bulbs went out. I don't know. But I need to look at them, and I really don't want to because the rest of the <laughs> shop right is, over your miter saw, so you don't care. No, they're they're in the corner, which is the messiest. And actually, I need to address that corner. Um, that's my black hole of <laughs> scraps and and everything, where things just pile and pile and pile, and it's half class prep storage, half scraps. And I would like to pull out that entire corner and build storage. Floor to ceiling, and this is not romantic at all, just for plastic bins filled with different class mm-hmm. junk that I have for every class I teach because my basement, I mean, my attic is getting filled up and it's super hard to access all that stuff. So, yeah, that's pretty sad. All right. That's not even a resolution. That's just something I got to take care of. It's pretty close to a resolution. Jeff, I'm, what do you I'm, have? I'm calling resolution. What are you going to do? Uh, probably the same thing I. At least thought last year. I don't know if I ever said it last year. Is actually get my shop up and running and organized and build. He a says wall. that, but his shop is like really functional. Yeah, it's if I got rid of all the crap that's in there, it's it could be really good. And I I do want to build a wall and put in a sub panel and yeah, I've got most of the stuff. I just. Don't have the it's time. It's time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> to me, you know, I, like I said, now that I've my kids are older, I have more time. But before that, any time I had in the shop, the last thing I really wanted to do was either work on cleaning it or, you know, doing some sort of maintenance on it. I would just rather be cutting wood or planing wood. Yeah. Just, I don't know. 
Anyway. You're, you're kind of making me sad because I always, I always think like, oh, when my kid's older, I'll, I'll have more time in the shop. And then you realize, wait, you'll have more time in your shop because you won't spend time with your kids. It's very sad. Yeah. <clears throat> They'll be taking cars apart in your driveway instead. Yeah. It's not that sad. Or, <laughs> <laughs> or you have to take breaks to drive them to the various activities that they have to go to. <sighs> <laughs> All right, I have an hour before I have to go pick her up for music lessons. <laughs> it's like, what can I do in an hour? All right, well, let's take a quick break. No. You're the boss. Christian Bexford. Peter Here's a Fallen, recent email I got. Peter Galbert, hey, Ben. Hope Chris all is well. I've been Gary listening Hatton, to the podcast, and I've Gary noticed that my name was left off the list for Fine Woodworking Live. I know that you record ahead of time, but I was wondering if my name would be added to the ad. And honestly, I can die happy if my name is read out loud alongside all those amazing folks. Thanks, man. Much appreciated. And I hope you have a fantastic Christmas. You too, Philip Morley. I can't believe I left Philip Morley off the ad for Fine Woodworking Live. Come on, Strano. Get it together. So if you want to see Philip Morley in person and actually be surprised just how tall Philip Morley is, like I was, you need to head to Fine Woodworking Live, April 17th through 19th in Southbridge, Massachusetts. No joke, we have probably the strongest lineup of woodworkers in the history of the world. Yeah, I'm confident enough to say that. All right, question number five. From Dean, as previously disclosed, I'm outfitting, I'm outfitting an auxiliary shop and the question of sharpening arises. I'm a fan of Waterstones. I have a lab sink in my south shop and I'm accustomed to, and a, accustomed to flattening Waterstones with a diamond lapping plate under running water. The north shop is heated and no challenge keeping stones hydrated in a tub, but how do I flatten the stones without running water? Others certainly have the same problem. I've just never contemplated another waterless flattening mythology. Tom, what do you do in your north mythology. shop? <laughs> I was just going to say that. Okay. So we have two shops. <laughs> and this is a huge problem. <laughs> uh, you know, I Poor have to Dean. say, I am so happy that I decided to put my workshop in my basement just because I have access to a slop sink. And it is, you know, you don't think you'll be using it a whole lot in the shop, you know, but, you know, for, for this task, for sure, but also just for, you know, filling up the water stone tub, mm -hmm. you know, getting, getting some water for, you know, raising grain, you know, things like that, or just rinsing off stuff from a glue up, you know, it's yeah. just, it's. I don't want to say it's magical, but it's pretty darn good. Running water is magic. It really is. <laughs> to the pilgrims. But um, it's, I just think it's funny that we have a north and a south <laughs> shop. And I'm having a hard time getting beyond that. <laughs> I don't have running water in my shop. Um, I do have one of those really big kind of mister bottles with the sort of the pump on the top that you can pressurize the... The uh, spray bottle oh, with yeah. Mister. Yeah. I thought it was like Mister. Like Mister Bottle. No, <laughs> I was like, is this like Mister Coffee? But Mister yeah, Bottle. So it's a big giant spray bottle yeah. with a little pump on top that holds a lot of water. It gets a little um, messy. 
there's some algae happening <laughs> at the bottom of it. But uh, it works pretty well. You know, for the, what I was going to suggest to the dean for the North Shop, uh, I mean, there's no reason that you necessarily have to have clean water when you're flattening the stone. So I would just do it in a bucket. Yeah, right? or just get like a little shallow Rubbermaid rectangular yeah. little tub thing. Um, do that. I have one of those... Um, I think it's, it's from Norton. It looks like a fishing tackle box, and there's like a water well, mm -hmm. and your three water stones clamped to this triangular cross-section thing. Um, I do all my flattening over there. It's a pretty self-contained mess, but I also have that little rubber made. Just do it in there. It's no big yeah. deal. I, we also, I mean, you know, we get these workshop tips quite frequently, and I remember one when I was editing that department where a guy didn't have water in his shop, but he rigged up some sort of gravity-fed system yeah. where he had a container up on a shelf and he had oh, yeah. a hose with a with a little lever or a stop on it yeah. so he could turn the water on and off as he needed. It was kind of cool. I just don't remember what issue it was. Yeah. I um I'll I'll try and find it. I I had always wanted to <clears throat> in my shop make um you know just get like a little aquarium pump and make a little sink area above a bucket that recirculates bucket water. Huh. And then I realized, well, it's probably going to freeze. Uh, and then I ditched the water stones because of that whole mess. Right. Um, but that's an option. Tim Rousseau has a, just a, a little tub with a valve, I think with a rubber hose that drains into a Rubbermaid, right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just Biggest challenge um, for me is not the water for the flattening. It's just how do I clean my hands? So I'm always buying yeah. those. But that's what I mean. It's it's nice to have <laughs> just yeah you know, yeah. To find like the industrial heavy wipes <clears throat> from the auto parts place. I have those. Oh, that's around. a good idea to keep in your shop. And I use I have <clears throat> um, I use the latex gloves a lot for not just for finishing, but you know for sharpening or cleaning or anything like that. That helps. Hmm. Yeah, I should start using those for sharpening. I keep cutting. I, I was just telling Ben the other day that every time I sharpen, you know, the next day or later that day, I'm I have I discover all these like paper cuts on my fingertips. Uh -oh. <laughs> it's like, what am I doing that I'm getting all these dang paper cuts? I wonder if it's from holding the honing guy. You know, like I, it's I'm you know I think it's probably from me being you know stupid and constantly touching the edge <laughs> or like i said i think i i probably on my chisels in particular i don't think i've relieved the um the corners uh, enough so i think i'm just kind of getting cut on that but i don't know I don't yeah know. the pmb 11 chisels are notorious for having super sharp edges yeah. japanese chisels tend to have super sharp edges too hmm. yeah but anyway all right question number six is from matt in australia i see many people pushing their resawn piece toward the fence beyond the blade. Surely this closes the kerf and pinches the blade. Is this a problem? I try not to do this, but at times it would be useful to provide some sideways pressure toward the fence to keep it in line. It's not a big deal. I know what you're talking about. There's no way of avoiding it, right? Yeah, just do it. It's okay. And if you have a split, I mean, but if you have a splitter, that should help That's a little bit too. On a bandsaw? Oh, I'm sorry. Why am I? I'm sorry. Fancy bandsaw. I, I read this as table saw. I, I yeah. just put my reading glasses on. All apologies. No, well, that's yeah. because it's, Ben it's cut out the part fine. about bandsaw. Yeah, there's no, there's, uh, yeah, he did. Didn't Maybe he? I did. Yeah. Ben. 
Uh, no. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I was going to say, boy, this is a this is a problem if it's a table yeah. saw. But um, bandsaw, no, not a problem. Yeah, and if you think about it, um, you know, the the blade is fairly narrow, even if it's a half inch wide blade. Um, sort of the set of the teeth is creating a curve a bit wider than the um, thickness of the blade itself, and kind of over half inch. If you're you know, sort of closing up the kerf on the back end, it's not really it's not really pinching the body of the blade all that much yeah. just because the kerf is is wider. Yeah, and there's not gonna be any kickback. Yeah, and sometimes you just have to do it. It's okay. I know and, and I do a lot of ripping of, of long boards, in particular on my, my bandsaw these days. Yeah. <clears throat> and sometimes you have to do it that way. Because you don't have with the a table saw, you've got a lot more room in front of the blade to register the workpiece against the fence. With the bandsaw, it's just that distance is shorter, and so mm -hmm. it's easy to for a long piece yeah. in particular. It's easier for it to kind of go offline. So, right, I do kind of reach around and and keep it tight. Yeah, I also, um, I when I'm resawing, I use a featherboard a lot, and the featherboard extends past the blade. It's it's just hmm. by default, but it's the best results. That I've gotten is using this feather board to push the stock up against the fence. And huh. yeah. Uh, question number seven. Seven. Is, I know. Flying. From Jesse. I'm new to woodworking and slowly outfitting my small shop. I'm limited on space, but I'd like to get a joiner to reap the economic advantages of rough sawn lumber. Are six inch bench chop joiner bench top jointers worth the money? Should I be worried about the aluminum fence that most have? Is there a table length concern? Am I better off buying a used floor standing joiner with a mobile base and sacrificing space? I would go with the latter myself. Me too. I just think a bench top, you know, it'll it'll do in a pinch, but it's not a long term solution. So you're gonna that money is just sort of a it's a wasted spend, I think. It, and then you have to you know, if he's worried about floor space as anyway, I mean, you're going to have to have a workstation for even the bench top thing. So either you're going to be moving it off your workbench, um, or you're going to have a dedicated spot for it anyway. I would, I would just go with the the floor standing. I have two concerns with bench tops: is moving them, around, you know, if you are being mobile with it, moving them around, you're more likely to knock it out of calibration or setup. Um, but the other thing is this. It depends on the size work that you're doing. You know, if you're like at times, I think I might be able to live with a benchtop joiner now if I had to, a six inch benchtop joiner, because most of what I'm doing on a joiner is small things. Mm. But if you're trying to make furniture, I think yeah. that's a good point. I think a, a floor standing six inch joiner, you know, a used Delta or whatever. Yeah, I've got a nice six inch Grizzly and, and you know, Got it tuned up. That's one of the things. Wow, maybe I did do a resolution last year. Tuned your jointer? I got my jointer tuned up, so I eliminated all the snipe out of it. So anyway, but I have a, a nice six-inch jointer. I mean, it's not, you know, six-inch, even that's limiting. I mean, I, I can't do a whole lot of, you know, wide flattening. You know, I have to come up with different ways to do it with um, my planer or, you know, I've got a flattening sled for my planer. So, um, but I, I would... I would go big. That's what I would recommend because you can get a, a decent six-inch jointer for you know probably twice as much as you pay for a brand new 
bench top. Maybe. You could probably get a used one for Yeah, because yeah. everybody who has a six inch joiner wants to sell it. They, get an eight inch they want to get an eight, right. Yeah. So. Well, that's the other thing I was going to say. I mean, if you're. No, no, like, we no. can't. It's, oh. it's cliche at this point. What? We can't say just get an eight inch. No, no, no. I was going to say if you if you're, you know, depending on your time, I mean, one of the things that you could just start saving up and, and look, keep looking for an eight inch used joiner because. Yeah, but you, I mean, because floor space. But they're probably harder to space. find because everyone wants them. Yeah, and but, your beds are getting longer yeah, if you yeah. have a small shot. I mean, my eight inch joiner takes up a whole wall, really. Yeah. If you think about having to infeed and outfeed the wood across it, I can't there's a whole wall where I can't have something stick out more than eight well, inches, you know? Yes. It could serve as a storage shelf. It's that right now. <laughs> yeah. I just saw um a friend of mine just kind of picked up some uh tools from a guy who was closing up his shop and one of the tools was a Older, not like vintage, vintage, but older, maybe 80s, uh, six-inch delta jointer. And it was super beefy. Yeah. It's like, you, I mean, that's a real machine. My only concern about benchtop machines is that the jointer is not complex, but it needs to do its job really well. And it, I think it needs to be pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I would bite the bullet, you know, sacrifice this floor space and get yourself a floor-standing Six-inch joiner because I think the machine you're getting versus a bench top is worlds apart. I think it's a completely yeah. different machine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I bought that joiner. Well, I bought it off of Dylan, who bought it off of you, who never picked it up from your house. But that <laughs> that fifties Delta um, that my brother now has. But that's that a thing, beast. Yeah, it's, that that's, thing's a beast. It's cast iron, and yeah. and you can run. You know, it's set up and and working beautifully now. Um, you could pick those up for two to three hundred all day long around here on Craigslist, at least. So, just have to get it home. I was able to fit that in the trunk of your Honda. I don't have a Honda, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a yeah, lot of you left, you left the sawdust in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> All right, question number eight. I didn't think we were going to get this far. Uh, Long-time listener, third-time questioner. It's okay. Nobody else has gotten this far. Pull <laughs> <laughs> back in the shop making, making stuff out of their shorts. Uh, this is from Kramer. Uh, I'm thinking about getting a good track saw, either the Festool or the, or the Makita, per the article in Fine Woodworking 255. To do, among many other things, 45-degree miters and three-quarter-inch or one-inch Baltic birch plywood for an open front cabinet. Uh, being as careful as possible with the setup and cut, could I expect this joint to come together cleanly? From all the reviews, it sounds like these saws are great and cut 90 degrees perfectly, but how are they at creating mating 45s? I could take a trip and do this on a good table saw, but I would like to be able to do it in my own shop Hashtag new tool excuses should be followed by hashtag Pekovich. Hashtag good luck. Um, ben, you have a track saw. I do. You ever do 45s? I have. Um, Is that a thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's one reason to maybe look at the Makita in this. Exa- and generally, if people – I have the Makita. Um, and I wish I had the Festool because of the riving knife, um, which on a track saw isn't as much of a deal as on a table saw, but it's still a deal. Okay. Um, 
But the Makita has a little lock that when the saw is tipped at 45 degrees, it locks it into the track. You could walk away from the saw when it tipped over. Right. um, And it's going to stay there. One thing that I would definitely do is, let's see, he's 18 inches deep. So it's not that long of a cut. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's not going to be much flex in the track. That's going to be the problem is if you've got a long miter to do and you can't, and there's no, there's nothing keeping the track from flexing and tipping. Okay. That's where your inaccuracy is going to be. So he's only doing an 18 inch deep cut. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about it. Clamp it down, you know, get the, get the track clamps with it. Cause I, they always say you can just stick the track on there. And yeah. cut. Maybe those home building guys do that. Sure. But we all know the kind of work they're yeah, doing. They don't right? even wash their hands. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah. Whatever. So I tr- I clamp every cut down. Yeah. Like like a legit. Or you can just cut down. 90 degrees and put a face frame on it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, but it, I think he's, no. he's no, talking. I get, yeah. I get what he's talking yeah. about. I'm joking. I, I think he'd be able to. <clears throat> and track saws. Yeah, they're pretty fantastic versatile. Tool yeah. I don't own one. I've made my own kind of, but not. I've never done miters with my setup. Yeah, I don't know if you'd be able to get away with it, like with the DIY sled. Yeah, you probably, well, I don't know. I never tried it, so. But those saws give you super clean cut. The question yeah. would be, can you dial in the 45 to where you're really getting an accurate I think minor? so. Okay. I think so. You might not wind up with a 90-degree corner from 245s you might wind up with a 90.1 degree corner as long as i can get all four of, sides together yeah, yeah. square case. i wish i i think you would be able to do okay yeah cuz doing miters on sheet goods on the table saw that's no walk in the park either no 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 that's tough yeah when last time i was on we talked about miters and like they're not easy no. i'll do almost anything to not cut a miter i really would <laughs> I wonder if that's where a sliding table saw comes in. I would have. That's a little bit of a escalation right there. (laughs) (laughs) Track saw slider. Yes. Maybe you should just get ten thousand dollars. Felder makes a nice one. (laughs) Yeah. Can you tilt the blade on a European saw? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if that would mess up the alignment ask, uh, of the blade with the slider or not. Oh, that's good. That's a good point. You have to ask know. Tom McLaughlin. Yeah, that's probably super. This is, this is really question. embarrassing. Well, wow. I don't own a European saw. Mark, who are you talking to? Uh, let's do one more. Right, Jeff? Sure. I think for my New Year's resolution, I'm going metric. Whoa. Oh. No, you're not. You're such a liar. I break all my resolutions anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, that one's done. <laughs> it is hilarious to me how upset people get about somebody <clears throat> talking about metric. No matter which side of the fence you fall on, you hate the other side. I don't, yeah, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> it's, no, it's incredible because like Vic Teslin did a blog – Defending metric, Guy Dunlop did a blog talking about going metric. Then I talked about going metric, and the comments. And Barry laughs at me anytime I post something. He goes, "Oh, there you go." I don't know. I mean, this is starting like, the fight again. If you grow up inches 
that's cool. That's what you know. If you grow up metric, that's fine. That's what you know. I have no problem with either one of those things. It's the people who are crossing over. Like when you say, I go in metric, it's like, no, no. <laughs> it's they're they're lines on a roller. <laughs> Keep both hands on the wheel. They are just that it's it makes no difference to me the whether no you're difference. metric and the thing that that makes me the thing that makes me upset about not upset about it, but is that people are offended by other people using like there's going to be YouTube comments now from Europeans who will just go nuts about how stupid Americans are for using imperial measurements. Yeah. And it's it's just why are you so offended by the way that I measure a board? I, I, I don't know. What remember, does it matter? Remember the Bob rule? Can't we all just get along? What's the Bob rule? Like Bob, a guy named Bob, he invented his own measuring <laughs> system. <laughs> And you can get a Bob ruler, Bob tape measures, yeah, and it right. just measures in Bob. So I think I'm going Bob. <laughs> That'd be awesome. It's a plum job. Uh, you got more? I can weave another one. I didn't get that one. Bob and that wasn't one. Oh, God. There's, there's they come in three. I... Come on. Do you want to go deep? Do <laughs> <laughs> you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. <laughs> come on. <clears throat> All right. One more. One more from Aaron. Past few weeks, I've been working on a walnut crib. My first child is due in October, so the kid is three months. Yay! You're getting sleep finally. I'm wanting to lighten the tones of the walnut. I hope that crib is done. (laughs) (laughs) That's his New Year's resolution. (laughs) (laughs) To give a more classic color to better match the design of the bed. I'm using a coat of amber shellac for color, followed by spray lacquer for protection. While applying the shellac, I quickly realized an issue. There are areas of sapwood on focal visual points of the bed. While the rest of the walnut turns a beautiful medium brown, the sapwood turns, well, orange. Yeah. I want to know if there's a way I can avoid this or another finish that will yield similar color without the orange staining. Should I have just better selected my lumber to avoid any and all sapwood? Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't think... You can't say sapwood is bad, but I think you need to use it with intent. So Mm. if it just shows up where you don't want it, that's not a good thing. Um, Ideally, you can sort of, you know, kind of pre-either stain or dye just the lighter portions of the walnut to get it a little bit closer. And once you've done what you've done and you've thrown the shellac on there and you've sealed it, I would use like a... You can use a glaze... Uh, selectively, like a gel stain or something that you can kind of wipe on those areas, wipe it off. You're not going to get it perfect, but you're going to take the contrast down a little bit, and then no one's ever going to notice except for you. Yeah, so don't that's talk probably about no it. one. This entire problem, no one's ever going to notice yeah. except for him. Yeah, if the baby's True. in there, they're looking at the baby, and if the baby's not in the crib, they're not looking at the crib. They're looking at Where's the, baby? the baby. Yes. Where's yeah. the baby? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I always, I mean, I, my question for this was why. Lighten walnut. I always liked when I use walnut. I like that darkness. So it's kind of interesting that take that he had that he wanted to lighten it. Did he? Yeah, I wanted to lighten the tones of the walnut. Sound like he was just going with a not using a lighter, trying to keep it light, trying to keep it more classic, more of a clear coat. Well, I mean, amber's amber is not going to lighten it. That's what I mean. Yeah. Questions flawed a little bit. 
But no. that that is something to, to think about, though, because, I mean, selective sapwood looks great in some spots in certain designs. Yeah. And then, but whatever you apply to that primary wood or the primary color of the wood is going to get yeah. applied to that as well. So, Well, I mean, when you look at, I mean, Mike has done articles on laying out boards, you know, when you lay out the piece, you could easily, I mean, sapwood is usable. You just have to find spots for it that yeah. work and um Hide it if you want, or like Mike said, recolor it to, to match, or go back to the lumberyard. I have a feeling, though, that Aaron has more important things to deal Aaron's with right the, now. Aaron's not in the shop right now. <laughs> not in the shop. <laughs> he has fallen asleep this far into the episode. Yes. So. He's, he's, he's dealing with a, a different kind of amber shellac right now. Oh. That got weird pretty quick. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't mean, to, right. didn't mean to poop on the parade. <laughs> All right. Does anyone have any random recommendations? Happy New Year. <laughs> no? I'm good. Yeah. Um, I recommend I, I made a kiln and I have a little thermostat on it and it now, most of the time, is used for keeping all of my glue supplies at 60 degrees in my shop when my shop is 30 degrees. Oh, cool. So, you've got a little... I can bring over some shellac. You got a little thermostat Sorry. on there or anything? I do have a little thermostat on there. It's awesome. It's really cool and fancy. Wow. And the light bulb just cycles. Yeah, because the light bulb will get up to about 4,000 degrees if you're not careful. <laughs> It'll get pretty dang hot. Yeah. Actually, the uh, unfortunate thing is that my kiln will not get up to 140 degrees right now. I need to upgrade the light bulb. <laughs> do you use it, <laughs> it gets for heat to too? Do you like to open the door and let it heat your shop? No, no. What do you use for heat? Uh, I'm not supposed to tell anyone, but I use Fire. a uh, kerosene salamander heater to bring it up to 50 degrees and then uh, – then I use a like a little infrared heater to keep it around fifty degrees. Off the record. Yes. Yeah, not kosher. Do not. Do you introduce that. a lot of moisture into your shop with that? I, I haven't had a problem. Okay. I mean, I it runs for maybe ten to fifteen minutes. Okay, and that's it. Um, because after that, I wind up feeling a little weird. Yes, and passing out. <laughs> I did try to heat my shop for a short period, but those I got a little bit of a headache after a yeah, while. Yeah, it gets. It it's gets, really loud too. Gets real. Yeah, it is really loud. Yeah. Um, but I haven't had any any moisture issues with it. But I'm sure if I used it all the time to keep it at 50 degrees, I would. Oh, you would notice because you'd be passed out on the floor. True. Very true. All right, you two have a meeting to get to. Jeez. All right, well, that's all for this episode of Shop Talk Live. If you have questions you'd like us to answer on the show, send them to shoptalkatalk.com. If you're watching on YouTube, please click that thumbs up button. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year.